I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. And from the pharmaceutical space, we are not here to help you heal. We're here to give you drugs, to help Mm. you maintain your current state. We are going to see some really big shifts happen culturally, and we're going to see some really big things happen politically in our lifetimes. I believe that we, as a society, as humans, we need to be as resilient and as healed as possible. That everyone is Janelle Becerra, and she has a background working in health and in wellness for a number of years. She's a life coach, and she weaves together a bunch of different disciplines to help people be their best. Psychedelics, somatics, mindfulness, behavior change. She's a trained coach, she's a core energy coach, and she knows things about what makes people resilient and how each of us can develop ourselves into the person that we want. In fact, how important it is that each of us need to be working on ourselves so that we can prepare for the future because it's a little uncertain right now. Janelle is also presenting at Wonderland, which is the leading psychedelic conference in the world. It's November 3rd through 5th. And if you want to go, if you want to meet me there, hang out with me, there's cocktail hours and presentations and all sorts of weird, cool, fun stuff that we're going to get into. Click on the link in the show notes and you can get tickets. Janelle is doing a uh, panel on ketamine integration, which is going to be really super interesting. Always, you can find show notes, you can find archives and discounts on biohacking products at seanmccormick.com forward slash shop. And... I'm so excited to bring these episodes to you every single week. You can find me on Instagram at McCormick. And if you want to know a little bit more about how I do my coaching, I would really, really invite you to take me up on what I call a coaching strategy session. It's free. It's 30 to 45 minutes. All you got to do is just send me an email, sean at seanmccormick.com and say, I'm interested. You see, I work with people in four key areas of their life. The first is classic personal development. The second is performance optimization and biohacking. The third is career advancement. And the fourth is spiritual guidance. If those are interesting to you, let me know. Okay, everybody, without further ado, Janelle Becerra. Tell us about your journey to to being a psychedelic coach. Basically, uh, in, a, in a previous life, I was a marketer and I worked in marketing for 12 years. And during that time, I received a, received a lot of coach training as a manager. So For that time, I was actually uh, a management coach, Um, but then I realized that I was not living my truth, my authentic nature, and I decided to pursue coaching in the health and wellness space uh, because my degree is in health science, and I ended up working as a marketer for healthcare companies mostly, Um, and then I was like, you know, no, I'm just going to go into the health and wellness space fully, but because I've been doing plant medicines for quite some time, for about 20 years now, um, I just knew that I was being called to work with within the psychedelic space. Um, before I left my job, though, I was like, you know, let me make sure I'm not taking a wild leap. So as a marketer, I did my due diligence and I was looking at the trends for the, the psychedelic space. And I recognized that there was going to be an opportunity to really create a very niche job title for myself. Let's say let's just say it that way. And so I decided to capitalize on that crest uh, in the trend and position myself as a psychedelic coach versus a management coach. 
health and wellness is such a tricky term because it, it, it encapsulates everything. I mean, um, plant medicines in Peru, health and wellness, flotation therapy centers in Seattle, health and wellness, um, trans trans resveratol, uh, health and wellness, you know, breath work. It's, it's this gigantic umbrella that, that I think a lot of people kind of get lost in. And so I would love, I would love to get your perspective a little bit on maybe kind of how you see, how you see, what's your unique perspective on how you see sort of like the health and wellness industry being both a part of it at, at a corporate level. And now as, you know, as an, as an individual practitioner. Oh man. <laughs> pass, yeah. You can pass. No, they're wildly different. They are wildly, wildly different. Um, from a big corporate standpoint, um, depending on the corporation that you worked for, right? So I, my experience was I first started out in pharmaceutical sales and I instantly, <laughs> instantly regretted that decision because it was absolutely profit-driven, profit, profit, profit. And if I didn't hit my sales quotas and I didn't hit like just these basic numbers, I would not get my commission. And um, I was working for a company that um, was price gouging. And essentially, mm -hmm. like they were the, the clients were calling us out, like, you know, you are price gouging. And it made me feel like absolute shit. Sorry, can mm -hmm. I first? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let it fly. So like I just felt like a terrible human being, to be quite honest. And I was like, this is not for me. And I would come home crying every single day. Like, this is not for me. Um, and so then I so that was the pharmaceutical space. Um, and then I moved into hospice. And hospice care was actually extraordinarily compassionate. And I learned so much, uh, even from a marketing perspective, um, I was really focused on content marketing and really understanding the patient perspective and understanding the struggles and really understanding like what these people were going through. So it really required a, a whole nother level of empathy for me to like really communicate with these people. And the service itself is just critical for that end of life um, stage that people go through. Um, and so from that perspective, it was, you know, it felt, it felt good to my soul to be able to provide value in that way. Hmm. Um, and then I worked within the plastic surgery space, which is a whole nother, whole nother thing. Um, and, you know, um, each of these experiences did kind of highlight, um, that ultimately with it, with the exception of hospice care, um, that there is no incentive for curing anything, right? We are here to put band-aids on things and we are meant to just kind of keep people hooked on the thing that we are selling. So whether it be more Botox or body uh, changes um, or, you know, any aesthetic, you know, let's put it that way. And from the pharmaceutical space, we are not here to help you heal. We're here to give you drugs, to help mm. you maintain your current state, right? So flip side as a practitioner and working within the psychedelic space, it's all about healing. It's all about getting the person to help them heal themselves. Yeah and recognize that they are the medicine, that they that they have it within themselves to make the changes to get them 
to where they want to be. Now, that's not to say that West, you know, that medicine is not appropriate under specific, you know, circumstances. You know, if you have a chronic illness that perhaps you are having trouble healing and you are limited, you don't have resources, you know, there might be reasons why you do need medicine. I'm not mm. anti-medicine, but I do believe that a large part of our personal responsibility for our health is to do everything in our power to get better um, without interventions, external interventions. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, one, one thing that, that I, I love your sort of thoughts on is I think that a lot of people who doesn't matter how high performer you are, but I think a lot of people are just used to treatment in a pill treatment. I mean, in a pill, there's creams and stuff, but, but really treatments in a pill, what they think about is treatments. And we, you know, that's not healthcare. That's, that's sick care. And, 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 and you and I are so close to it that we see the narrative shifting. We see health optimization. We see homeostasis. We see longevity stuff like that for you and I, that's, that's really obvious. And we see that trend, but I think for a lot of people, they're sort of stuck in this, stuck in this paradigm. What, what do you think helps people shift from this idea of, man, I, I'm out of options. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go to the doctor and take the pill that he tells me to versus the type of person that might be close to the edge of saying, okay, well, instead of relying on a pill, relying on a, uh, a prescription, I'm going to do some deeper exploration into some of my trauma or maybe some of my addiction or some alternative tools like ketamine or ayahuasca or psilocybin that are actually going to help me grow. What, what, where do you think is that like fulcrum point where people kind of switch over their, their point of view? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, from what I've seen, from the people that I've been dealing with, because I asked that question to some degree, some version of that question. And it's usually people who have an internal locus of control. They themselves know that they are responsible for change mm. and they're not dependent on external symbols and uh uh, external forces to tell them how they are going to um, heal. Um, and then they, because they have this internal locus of control, when they recognize that the medications themselves aren't doing, are not helping them get better, they almost take radical responsibility for their their outcomes at hmm. that point. And then they choose to, you know, take these alternative approaches. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that that's interesting. I, you know, I, I sometimes wonder like, what is the catalyst for that, that awareness, maybe call it awakening or coming, you know, this, uh, just, a, just a perspective shift. I think oftentimes that's like the death of a loved one, you know, a diabetic, you know, pre-diabetic diagnosis, you know, uh, a prescription for an SSRI that you feel like, man, I really don't want to do that. I'm hoping that there's something else. You know, I don't know if you've seen that, but but maybe you can speak to like what what brings people to that point where they're like, no, I do have this internal locus of control. I'm going to activate on it. I'm going to do some digging and some working. Maybe hire a coach or or you know, 
I don't know if you I don't know if you agree with that that it usually comes from some like little shit moment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, but I'm having like one particular example come to mind, so it's super anecdotal and I'm not data driven. But <laughs> um, that's okay. You, know, you you have these life transitions, right? Um, going from you know approaching midlife, right, and suddenly you are reevaluating what quality of life means to you and what that looks like. And mm. it seems to be a very trying time for people because their identities are shifting. They are no longer these youthful, vibrant, you know, young bucks that are, you know, crushing it, you know, and now they are transitioning to a different face where a different version of themselves is required. And in that, in that defining moment, people make different decisions than what mm -hmm. they had been, you know, previously doing. So that's one example of like a catalyst that would encourage someone to change. But to your point, um, you know, um, I know many people who suffered illness, uh, tremendous illness or gotten a terrible diagnosis. And suddenly like, they're like, oh shit, like I've, I've got to do something different because this mm. is where I'm at right now with the way I've been leading my life. So mm. that's always, you know, or like you said, a death of a loved one will also create that. It's a, it's a, it has to be a seismic event. Yeah. To kind of people back into waking up. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It can be a career change. It can be the loss of a loved one. It could be a divorce. It could be, you know, now that we've gone super heady and theoretical and I've asked you these like super huge open-ended questions, what is it that you do? <laughs> tell us, tell us a little about yourself and, 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 and some of the populations that you work with. Sure. So I am in a life coach, but also an integration coach. And, um, I kind of merge both practices together as a unique service offering for people. So um, I combine my life coaching with um, both uh, facilitated journeys because I also serve as a guide for people who wanna sit with plant medicine for the first time um, or psychedelic medicine, doesn't have to be plant medicine. Um, and also help them provide integration plans so that they can take those insights uh, into daily life. Uh, but then I zoom back out again into the whole life coaching uh, aspect of the work and continue to work towards goals um, that they have outlined as important on their journey. Uh, I use the psychedelic medicine as a, an accelerator of change. Hmm. And so, you know, as I go through the coaching process, let's just say there's goal number one, and we're get, trying to work through getting to goal number one, but there is a repeating pattern perhaps that comes into play that needs to be addressed. Uh, when I drill down into that, let's say that pattern, I get to, let's say a limiting belief or some kind of um, ego shadow work that needs to be done there. And I use that as an opportunity to create an intention before allowing them to, you know, getting them to sit with medicine. And then we explore that emotional block more deeply with the psychedelic medicine. Mm. And then once that's been established, we create an integration plan around that. And as they're integrating, we're still working towards their life coaching goals. 
love it. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Today's episode is brought to you by Bio Pro Plus. I love this stuff. It has made a major change in my life, in my metabolism, in my mood, in my ability to put on lean muscle mass and feel as powerful as I want to feel. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. You can go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I try this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. I love it. (laughs) I mean, it's parallel to what I do. And I think that you and I are probably 20 years ahead of what mental health, mental wellness, coaching, performance optimization is going to be. I think that I'm going to go into the woo just for a second here, and then I'll pull us both back out of the woo. But I think that you and I are here on this planet at this time to do this work. And we chose to be here. You know, I'm 39. So I'm like the eldest millennial. Same. And we were like, okay, well, I guess we'll just go create a path for helping people and find innovative tools that are both ancient and also cutting edge. And hopefully that helps the planet, you know, become a better place for everything and everyone. I I mean, I really, I really do believe that. And I think that there are going to be more and more millennials who are highly empathic, who are, um, who are aware of the benefits of psychedelics, who are, who are motivated and energetic and optimistic and want to make a difference in the world. And so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you're shaking your head. Like you maybe like, I'm like, you might agree with me, but, but that's, that's my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are. Absolutely. I'm like, so right now I'm working on my website and I'm like creating my positioning statements. I'm like, what's my purpose, my vision, you know, my mission and everything. And I am 100% on board of, you know, um, helping people realize their highest version of themselves, help them live authentically, help them help them heal so that they can thrive and be resilient during a time of great change. Because, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how comfortable we are talking about like how the world is changing, uh, but it is. And, you know, um, just here in Miami, climate change, it's real. (laughs) I, I know that people have their perspectives on that, but I can tell you as someone who's lived here basically 40 years that I have seen the sea level rise, right? (laughs) landmarks that were there before are no longer there. So Mm. with that said, we are going to see some really big shifts happen culturally. And we're going to see some really big things happen politically in our lifetimes. And I believe that we, as a society, as humans, we need to be as resilient and as healed as possible 
so that we can face these challenges from a place of a heart-centered leadership versus reactionary survival mode, like just the ugliness that can happen under those circumstances. I've lived through natural disasters in the city. I have seen how people can become very survivalist um, mm. at the expense of other people. And um, I'd love to think that if we were all healed and that we all knew what it was to live in community, that we would be able to work together better. Mm. So I definitely have um, these lofty ambitions of like, heal the world so we can survive together and like make it great. <laughs> I think that's an important thing. I think it should be at the top of the list. Yeah. Well, can you unpack a couple of terms for me? Because now that we've now that I've led us down into the the gooey woo, uh, I want to I want to unpack it and sort of untether it. I think a little bit. Um, you talk about resilient and healed, and and I think that healed is a term that you and I are probably familiar with, and, and people who are familiar with, um, psychology therapy, coaching, plant medicines, that sort of thing. But I would I would love for you to define what that means to you. How do you when you say the word heal when you say the word healed followed by resilient, um how how do you what do you mean by that? So as a trauma informed coach, I assume that we've all gone through some form of trauma, right? And we are our nervous systems are just very reactive. And we don't typically, um, when we are when we are activated, we don't necessarily um, respond through a lens that is from a more neutral or pragmatic state. Sometimes we can react from a very survivalist point of view um, or a victim point of view. And all of these behaviors over time create an imbalance, so to speak. And so when I say healed, I really am talking about like almost nervous system healing, mm. um, you know, releasing the traumas, making sure that you can have complete control over your nervous system or have the resources to control your nervous system under challenging situations. Mm. Um, and I've kind of just merged both healing and resilience together. Um, because a lot of mental health, I work predominantly within the mental health space. Um, a lot of people are presenting with anxiety and depression. So a lot of dorsal um, states uh, within, the, uh, within the central nervous system, right? So a lot of like victim back, I don't wanna be a part of this. And that's a lot of depression. And then you have a lot of anxiety, which is very sympathetic, very like fight or flight mode. Um, and that's um, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And so to heal these things, we need to unpack the trauma and then we need to regulate the nervous system, mm. right? And give people the resources, tools, strategies to help them regulate their nervous system under challenging situations, which creates that resilience. Mm. So heal it and then learn how to regulate it. Hmm. That's really helpful. I appreciate that because that, that is not, it's not what I expected and also makes tons of sense. You know, like that, that's, I think it's important to, to unpack some of these words because it, they, they are, they are thrown around in a way 
that I think for people that know, they understand it, they get it. But I think for for the average person, they may not know what healed means. They may not know what resilient means. What type of person benefits from psychedelics combined with coaching? Is there an archetype? Is it everybody? Everybody. Everybody. (laughs) No, 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 not everybody, because that would imply that everyone can take psychedelics, which they cannot. So um, I would say um, there are different archetypes to your point. Yeah, you have people who perhaps are wounded. You know, perhaps there there is some, there are some people who need healing as per my definition. Um, And there's all the other people who kind of fall in the camp that I'm in, which um, is really more about performance and accelerating biohacking, right? These are the things that I'm interested in. Personally, what I'm interested in is, you know, um, leveraging psychedelics and the neuroplastic window to compound that with biohacking strategies and help them like amplify or accelerate the changes that they're looking for through these biohacks. Um, So I do think that there's a healing space and then there's the the performance space. And then I think it's just, let's have fucking fun space and Mm. let's connect and like be out in the world and love on each other and, you know, like connect and be human together. So Mm -hmm. those are the three buckets that I kind of see. Yeah, I totally agree. I like that a lot. I like, I like that. Well, tell me more about, because I, I feel like this is underserved as a topic of conversation is psychedelics coaching and performance optimization. You know, there's, there's so many and, and and leading up to Wonderland this year, where we'll meet in, in person, I'm I'm releasing a, a number of these these episodes that, that that kind of touch into this a little bit. Not only psychedelics, because it's the fall in the Pacific Northwest where I live, and the mushrooms are popping up everywhere in my backyard and in my front yard and on the walk and at the beach. And the fall is just an, it's my favorite time of year, and the fungi are, are here. But the focus on on psychedelics and coaching for performance optimization versus the focus on the, you know, anxiety, depression, trauma, all that stuff. And, and I think that there's, that there's a lot of opportunity for exploration into creativity, into focus, into memory, into self-expression. So maybe if you could connect some dots between psychedelics, biohacking and performance optimization, like, how do you, how do you think of it? Uh, How do you think of it? open-ended question again. Um, okay. So that, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an answer and you let me know if this lands for you. Um, so I've been exploring biohacking for myself for a while. Um, and I am a strong believer that you can leverage psychedelics to, I want to say almost accelerate the changes that can be gained from biohacking techniques. And so what I mean to say is like this. So one of the integration practices that I use for some of my ketamine patients, because I work with the doctor here in Miami uh, to work with her, her ketamine clients, is you know because these people are presenting with anxiety, um, at least a good portion of them are. You know one of the things that people with anxiety need to 
improve from a biological, physiological standpoint is actually increasing their window of tolerance, which basically means how long they can sit in with discomfort without going over the edge. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I do from an integration standpoint is when a client um, sits with ketamine within the four day window where you have that neuroplastic state, I'll have them do um, breath work and ice baths. And this way they are training their system to sit with discomfort intentionally so that they can accelerate the change of that part of the central nervous system response to a high pressure event. Mm -hmm. And so I use that as an integration practice. Um, so I don't necessarily think that you, you, you can detach them at, to say like, you know, peak performance, performance optimization, psychedelics, but you can also integrate that with mental health integration mm -hmm. as well, because essentially you're trying to get these people to also perform better, right? And yeah. show up better. Um, so that's just one way. So I think that you can leverage these windows to accelerate the change. And also, um, you know, from, um, I'm not sure if you've uh, read the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. No, I haven't. Um, so James, I think it's James Fadiman is the author of that book. Um, and he talks about, um, you know, uh, using uh, psychedelics as a catalyst for creative problem solving. And so, um, you know, the way that he describes his studies was um, essentially taking uh, managers uh, and having who have like actual problems that they need to solve, um, consider their problem and think about their problem for like weeks on end before sitting with medicine. And then he basically had them sit with medicine, allowed them go to go through the peak experience. But once that peak experience was done and they were coming off the back end of it, he had them then write down the um, solutions to the problems that they were actually considering for weeks mm. on end. And um, once the medicine wore off, he came back and he researched, uh, he followed up with them to see how many of these plans were actually feasible or implemented. And um, a good percentage of these plans were actually feasible solutions to these problems. And a lot of the feedback that these people gave was that, that the medicine provided an accelerated rate of problem solving while also showing like the, med like the medicine allowed them to see which one, which ones of these particular solutions were not feasible. So like, it's almost like it not only provided you a ton of opportunity to like, mm -hmm. almost do like a mind dump and like a lot of solutions, but then upon reflection, it was like instantly you can see what, what's not gonna work. And so it was just the accelerated rate of creative problem solving. So that's not something I've done yet, but something I'm definitely going to be exploring soon for myself. And I'm very excited to see how that's gonna work out. Ah, what, <laughs> what's the plan there? Can you share it with us or do you wanna keep that for yourself? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean, I am right now currently in this next phase of my business. So like I said, I've been coaching for a year now as a psychedelic coach. Um, and so I've been kind of figuring out, you know, what is going to be my, how am I going to be showing up this next year? Like, what's my, 
offering? What's my positioning? Like, how, how am I going to be showing up differently next year? And so I've been preparing, uh, doing a lot of visioning work, a lot of goal setting. I have a lot of different ambitions that I really want to just like make sure that I kind of give give myself opportunity to kind of uh, sit with and really like generate ideas uh, for. And so I've been prepping for about three months now. And uh, next week, uh, no, in two weeks, I'm going to be sitting with ayahuasca. And I plan on holding this vision that I have for this next year. Hmm. And I'm going to allow the medicine to show me like, what is it that needs to happen in order for me to get there? Hmm. Um, what, what is, what, who do I need to be? What language do I need to be using? Like, what's my perspective and how do I need to be showing up? What version of myself do I need to embody in order to manifest the life that I want next year? Hmm. So that's kind of what my, my little personal project. I am my awesome. own, like I'm my own guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're coaching yourself. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. It's, it's always fascinating to hear people's process, you know? Um, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on how life coaches coach themselves and in what ways. Um, uh, but I, it's, it's a little, probably to a little niche. We'd have to start a whole new podcast for it. We'd have for, to co-host life coaches. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe there's something there actually. Yeah. Right. I think that the future is being built now. It's being built alongside of psychedelic innovations. It's built alongside the, the optimistic, energetic people who actually want to make the world a better place. And I think that the, the most flexible minds and the most creative minds are people who are coming from the psychedelic world or at least experienced in, in psychedelics. So what do you think, and maybe you can pull in some biohacking and some psychedelics and some commerce and some love and nature into this what do you where do you think that we can go as a civilization in 10 years <laughs> um okay well i would say in 10 years oh you know part of me wants to be really optimistic part of me does really want to be optimistic but i am unfortunately more of a realist than I am optimistic and something that I'm working on, but that's just where I'm at right now. I strongly feel like we have a lot of work to do. Um, and in 10 years, I would like to think that psychedelics are legal, um, uh, at least from an FDA standpoint, and they are at least being per, uh, we have systems in place where providers can offer these medicines to the population. I'd like to think that that's where we'll be. Um, I do think that, um, you know, there might be a lot of different, absolutely opportunities for, you know, different product offerings and uh, whatnot to help supplement the industry and the field, which is fantastic. But I also think that this, I, I wish this would have happened like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, because I feel like the we need to call in the highest version of ourselves. Again, going back to my previous statement, you know, things are going to change. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to look like politically or environmentally, 
but um, the systems that are currently in place are will hopefully start reevaluating reevaluating how they impact our culture's mental health. I'd like to think that those conversations will start happening because they are happening at a lower level right now where you have the people on the ground and the activists who are saying, we need drug policy reform. We need to look at the systemic situations that are happening that are enforcing traumas amongst our communities. Um, and we need to have like an overhaul. Now, I don't know that that's gonna happen in 10 years, but I'd like to think that we will have people in places of power that will see that and that will start to implement changes at organizational levels. I'd like mm -hmm. to think that workplaces will start to notice that their way of running their organizations are having impacts on their employees' mental health. Um, it's very easy for organizations right now to run their people into the ground, but we are seeing a huge amount of people leaving their jobs, leaving because of burnout. I was one of them. Mm. And deciding that that's not going to work anymore and redefining what these organizations are going to do and how they're going to show up and how they're going to care for their people versus leaving it just for the individual themselves to, to figure it out because the organizations also need to be supportive of their employees' mental health as well. Um, so I know it's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big one, um, but I, I definitely think that there's still, in 10 years, we're not gonna be where I would love us to be. <laughs> but I do think that perhaps more conversations, more important conversations will start happening at at different levels of our society. I hope so too. I hope so too. I think that the last couple of years may have one of the one of the bright sides of the last couple of years has been, you know, potentially an an, an expediting of radical change, right? The like you mentioned the the great resignation, people are just like life's too short, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I do not want to spend 4 hours in the car every day to commute into a job where I hate it. I'm just going to I can work from home. Oh, you want me to come back in? Never mind. I'm not going to. I I think that that has 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 likely shifted the the minds of leadership. I think it's shifted the minds of the way that we think about work, the way that we think about what what role work has in our lives and 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 how work should be meaningful for the for the person <clears throat> and and developing purpose is a really tricky thing it's hard it's oh, yeah. hard to get clear on what what am i supposed to do with my life right like that's that's perhaps the most important question you can ask yourself and that's why it's so tough because if you're spending most of your time most of your day and some time on the weekends doing something that you absolutely hate, mm. then you're not in alignment with it, you know? And, and, and so because the way that we do work is such a big part of the way that we, each of us live our lives just to sustain ourselves as far as resources, I agree. I think that, I hope that the, that the way that we see work, the way that we see gains and sort of the structure of capitalism shifts a little bit to become more meaningful. And I think that health and wellness is, is the path to get there. You know, I think if people are cared for by their employers, 
and their mental health and their physical health is is important. I think that that's going to keep people doing good work, you know? Um, Absolutely. And then also, I mean, t- to the point that you're making, people feeling need to feel a sense of purpose at work, right? So like, even if they've chosen, you know, some people don't necessarily want to make a living from what they feel their purpose is. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. Some people would rather just say, I'm going to work, get my paycheck, get my money. And then my purpose could be, you know, volunteering in the community or something. You know, I don't know. Or raising yeah. great kids, right? Or, or just being, right. yeah. Right. But people still need to be engaged at work. And from a mental health standpoint or a mental wellness standpoint, better yet, mm-hmm. you know, if you have employees or employers who actively look to work with their employees to understand what they value and what where their where their strengths can be really applied and giving them a sense of purpose is also really important. It's not just like, oh, I'm gonna offer you like medical medical benefits and then you're gonna go to like, you know, the your uh, in-network ketamine practitioner to go get, you know, your ketamine dose. No, you need to integrate your psychedelic experience at work too. Mm. And that's an area I'm very interested in because as these things become like part of like your insurance plans or if they do become part of insurance plans, I don't know. But if they are in fact doling this out and employees are actually doing this, but let's say say part of the problem is their work environment, then are we preparing employers to have these conversations with people? Because from an integration standpoint, when you're talking about, you know, family systems, you are you are encouraged to tell your family members that you're going to go through a psychedelic experience because they are part of your healing process, because the relationships that you have are part of your healing process. Mm-hmm. So the same thing can be said at work. If work is the reason why you have chronic anxiety and you're burning out and you go get a ketamine treatment, but you come back and the environment does not adjust for you Mm. then you are going to be quite limited with the benefit of that treatment i totally i totally see that i want to i want to push back against that a little bit uh because i totally agree right whether you go to peru for a week and then you have an amazing transcendent experience and you get the downloads and you get the visions and you understand yourself more deeply and then you come back and everything's the same. Everyone else is the same in your family, all your friends, they're still bugging you to go drinking on a Thursday night. Your, you know, your your coworkers and your bosses, the, all the same pressures are the same. So, so I I I I totally agree that it, that it has to include how you do your work, where you work, etc. The the question that I have is around the employer making adjustments for the employee. And the concern that I have is that if someone comes back from down the street at a ketamine clinic or from Costa Rica at an ayahuasca retreat, and then they come back and say, okay, everybody, you got to get your act together. I'm doing my process. I'm integrating now. You know, you're going to call me this. You're going to refer to me as this. You're going to change my the ergonomics of my desk. You're going to give me two weeks extra. You know, you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. and, so maybe maybe there's an opportunity there to 
because that's going to change a lot. If everybody comes back, part of their mental health and, and well-being practices uh, include them being more open and talking to their employers about some of this stuff. I wonder how that works where the employer says, well, we're going to do our best. Like we'll give you a, we'll give you a spongy wrist thing for your keyboard. Is that good right. enough? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more about, about how that might look for employers making, making adjustments or accommodations. Yeah. And honestly, this is something, honestly, that I came up with talking to my husband because he's big, he's a, uh, big into business and business operations and like, whatnot. So like I was sitting there and I was thinking, oh my God, like what would happen if I had gone through my ayahuasca journey and it was really work-based why I was feeling really burnt out and whatnot. Like what happens if I would have gone back and like, how would I have integrated? And the truth is that it's, I think it's multifactorial. I think that A, you as a human being, as an individual need to understand like, do I really want to be in this job? Is this where I want to be? Yeah. I mean, let's just start there. Because if you don't want to be there, then you need to make plans, adjustments, and get yourself out. But if it's somewhere that you do want to be, then becoming very clear about what's working, what's not, and what's affecting you is probably the first place to start. And then from that point, you know, just getting very clear for yourself what it is that you need. And then perhaps, and let's just say, you know, if we had, let's just say, um, psychedelic coaching, um, awareness for managers, right? Like just in general, like what, 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 what did this person go through? How are they going to come back? How might they see the world a little bit differently? Mm -hmm. And how can you help create a container where you can help them make adjustments? You know, certainly I don't think this is going to be at the C-suite level. I do not think that it's going to be happening at even the director level per se, maybe, maybe, but I'm talking more like, you know, direct management, like middle management where they get some training and understanding because you're the people who have to deal with your employees. Yeah. And, and so these people perhaps maybe could create like a community circle where, you know, they create a space where people can talk and just to, to get feedback, maybe no promises are made, but at least somewhere where a person can be felt made felt safe and mm. heard and, you know, if they need to create a boundary for themselves where I'm not going to be working past five o'clock because I need to go home and pick up my kids. Like I'm going to be able to articulate that, you know, yeah. something like that. Or I will not be answering emails at midnight yeah. and have a space, a, a safe container to say these things. And so maybe it's just creating an awareness and then also creating a container where someone can, within reason can create boundaries that perhaps need to be put in place or communicate that, Hey, this is work. Doesn't seem purposeful to me. How can you put me on assignments that are perhaps, how can we work together to make me find better assignments? You know? So it's not, I don't think it's just one. I don't think it's a responsibility fully of the employer, but it's you as an employee understanding what it is that you need mm. and maybe getting coached around that. And then also having that your managers themselves have an understanding that they're not completely blindsided and that they you can tell them, hey, I'm going to go sit with psychedelics and this isn't the intention that I'm sitting with and I'm going to come back and this is, you know, what I'm, this is what the journey is going to be like. 
Yeah. Maybe it's a far-fetched idea. Maybe this is a little out there, but <laughs> I would love to, I would, if, you know, if I were going back to corporate, God forbid, if I were going back, I could be that manager, right? Sure. Like I could essentially sit in that space. And I mean, I was a manager. I did have employees reporting into me. And if one of my employees told me that they were going to have that journey, I could absolutely help facilitate a better experience, container integration at work. Yeah. I love the idea. I absolutely do. You know, a couple a couple things that jump out at me. One is that you're you're talking about a level of authenticity that that when when there when it's present, when there's a level of authenticity present in a workspace, uh you you stop wasting so much time, right? Yes. You become way more effective if you can say what's on your mind and the person can just receive it and go, huh, I disagree with that. Let's figure this thing out rather than finger pointing and office politics. It's like, so that's like ratcheting up the level of authenticity and that shortens the amount of time to be effective. It, it allows sort of merit to bubble up the best ideas you know, become accepted and integrated. Innovations happen that way because it's like, is your idea good? Well, then let's promote it. Let's let's activate on it. And the other part that, that really jumps out at me is knowing what you need. <laughs> not to, that's a it's a pretty simple idea for some folks, but for others it is not. They have no idea what they need. They have no idea what they want. And you and I both know that working with mind-altering substances, even flotation therapy, which is a hu huge for me, um, and the listeners know why, um, meditation, yoga, fasting, these things that change, you know, that create an altered state of consciousness is where you perturb your consciousness enough to learn a thing or two. Mm -hmm. Then you begin to ask the questions, well, what is it that I need, right? Do I need to lose like 40 pounds? Do I need to find better relationships? Do I need to have better boundaries at work? Well, shit, I better start putting structures in place to get that. I better put some processes so that that I can actually get what I need and have my needs met. So I, I don't know. I just, I really like, those are the two ideas that jumped out at me, but I, I, I love, I love that vision a lot. Yeah. I think it's a good point. Um, the, the, the call outs that you made, um, it's, it's definitely pie in the sky right now because it's still so taboo. I mean, like, I, I personally haven't even really posted on LinkedIn since I left my job. Like I'm just like chilling on Instagram. Like I'm just going to hang out here because mm. I have a huge network that if I just start posting about psychedelics, like I just mm. feel that they would be like not ready, you know, because it's still kind of taboo, it's still not 100%. Um, but that is changing next year, by the way. Um, Good. Yeah, for sure. Um, but ultimately like because these things are going to be integrated more closely in society we are already seeing the how quickly the media has kind of caught on to this and and i am starting to see stuff on linkedin that wasn't there before about psychedelics um it's just one of those things that we have to like if you want to retain your employees if you really want, if you care about cultivating an organization, an environment where you have longevity, that people do not stay, because you have this accrued knowledge from your employees that, you know, when, they, when they're when they gone, then you have to replace them. I mean, that in itself has a built-in cost. 
You know, if you are truly looking to cultivate an authentic work environment, then it's worth the investment to consider what this could look like for people. You know, mm. even if you, even if you did like the bare minimum, just to show that you are trying would be a step in the right direction. You know, mm. you know, you can be super innovative and like, you know, maybe there are some organizations out there that I know Dr. Bronner's is doing ketamine therapy for patients. I mean, for their for their employees. I mean, how cool was that? That made the news. Imagine doing like group integration, you know, if, if it's appropriate, you know, depending on, of course, what came up for you, you know, if you don't mm -hmm. option option, you don't have to show up, you know, it's a choice, but if you do, it's there, it's a resource. Like there's opportunities with a little creative thinking. I'm all about authenticity. And it was one of those things at work that usually got me in trouble. Yeah, because me too. I was, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're so authentic. And like all of a sudden, like it, it rubs up against what the agendas are. And right. uh, not everybody likes it. Yeah. But you know what? You always knew what you were going to get from me. Right. And yeah. so. The, well, the, it, it, and to that note, anybody who's listening right now, who's, who's, who's vibing with this and saying, yeah, all this makes sense. If you're one of those people that is your authenticity gets you in trouble at work, don't stop. Don't, don't kowtow or roll over or give up who you are or, or, or change yourself to fit the systems, find new systems or create new systems, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be happy in your job. If you are one of these people who is beg for forgiveness instead of ask for permission, if you like being who you are and you are an extreme version of that and you rub people the wrong way, it will never get better. It will never, <laughs> it will never come around and do things your way. So what I encourage you to do if this resonates with you is to consider finding another position or creating your own position because folks like that just, it never works. And the next company might be better. Um, but anyway, hire a coach and let them help you with that because that's a, that's a big <laughs> deal. That's never going to, it's never going to get fixed. That's a, um, such a good point. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's the, there are people who can put on their masks, right. And they do sure. the thing, right. But then there are those people who cannot. If you are the, I cannot put on the mask type person, then that message is for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And you know who you are. You yeah, for those. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're going to be at Wonderland. I've mentioned it a couple times. I had uh, Patrick on the podcast a couple uh, episodes ago. And um, uh, what what are you going to talk about? You know, what, what, what sort of wisdom are you going to share with the world in, in Miami? So I am on the uh, ketamine, ketamine integration and patient experience panel, and I will be alongside some other great minds, including Lauren Taus, which I love her. She's amazing. <sighs> and so uh, I'm just going to probably be fangirling the whole time. I may not even <laughs> say it I'm just be like, you're amazing. Uh, but, uh, I'm going to be talking about integration and, um, specifically life coaching and how the, the two work together. Um, I think it's a point of distinction and also peak performance, how to incorporate integration for peak performance as well. Awesome. Love yeah. it. Can't wait. I'm excited. Uh, 
it's going to be good. I I'm, I'm really excited too. I'm, you know, I don't know that I've been to any sort of conference. Well, that's not true. Um, I'm excited to go to a conference where it is of such like-minded folks. And, and again, I come from the idea of the thought that the people involved in web three in psychedelics and longevity uh, are the people that are going to actually create the future. They're going to actually create a more sustainable, more inclusive, uh, more innovative future. And so I, I'm, I'm really excited. Well, bef- before I ask the final question, which is a fill in the blank question specifically to catch people off guard, um, where can people learn more about you and, and find out uh, how to connect? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Janelle Becerra. Um, and on LinkedIn, Janelle Becerra, I'll be posting on there as well. Um, website is coming soon and it'll be Janelle Becerra. It was just me <laughs> at this point. Um, and, um, and you can also, uh, perhaps find me on, um, different podcasts that are all about, um, neuro, um, cognitive, uh, cognitive, uh, behavioral type podcasts, performance podcasts, life life coaching podcasts. Um, but that's it for now. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I I can't wait for the website. Thank you. Me too. I'm super excited. (laughs) I know. I know how much, I know how much work goes into those, especially when it's your name, you know, did you have to pay, did you have to pay a bunch for Janelle Becerra? Did you buy it a long time ago? I bought it like ages ago. Yeah. I, I made the mistake of not buying it ages ago. I bought the .org and somebody was just camping out on seanmccormick.com and um, luckily I negotiated well. But yeah, if, if you are a human being who likes speaking your mind and, and maybe has some entrepreneurial uh, ambitions, buy your domain right now. If you're like Joe Smith, you're too late. You're done. You know, right? But, you know, uh, Beauregard Swanson it's probably available. Just go buy BeauregardSwanson.com if that's your name and just hold down that real estate, online real estate, sorry, public service announcement. So here's, <laughs> here's the fill in the blank question. And this, this can be based on anything that, that, you know, any, any area of wisdom that you, that you choose to share and you can elaborate as much or as little as you want, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. If you change your energy, your energy state, your energetic state, you can change your life. And the minute that you master your energy, you become the master of your life. Until then, it's your reactivity that is creating the life that you have around you. So um, I'm trained as a core energy coach. And essentially what a core energy coach uh, looks at is what are the emotional blocks that are stopping you from moving forward? And it's not until we address the emotional block that you will create sustainable change. So a lot of coaches, coaching programs um, really focus like on goal setting and a lot of different like activities that to help people move forward. And while it's absolutely uh, valuable and still something that we use as a core energy coaches, we don't go into goal setting unless we are addressing the emotional blocks that are stopping you from setting or setting those goals and reaching those goals in the first place. 
Mm. And so that is all about managing your energy, understanding where these things are coming from, where this energy is sitting and moving from one energy state to the next. So like, let's just say, for example, you have a, a victim mindset and you think the world is happening to you and you are just like, uh, you are uh, reacting to life. Um, in order for you to make change, you have to move to a phase of anger because anger creates the impetus for taking action, right? And so understanding that there are, you can't skip energy states. You can't go from feeling like a victim to like absolute joy and transcendence. Mm. You have to, we, we live in the spectrum. We can access those energy states at any given moment. But if you're dealing with a very specific problem where you are feeling like a victim, you cannot change or move past that problem until you move out of that energy state. I wonder if that makes sense. Mm, I like that a lot. Mm. First things first there person. First things first. I love that. This has been great. Uh, you know, I'm just nodding the whole time while you're talking like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know, I feel like an improv class a little bit because I'm so, I'm so on board with, with everything that you're saying. And I, and I appreciate your time here. You know, I can't wait for, for, for what comes from you next year. And, you know, maybe think about, starting a podcast with a guy like me where we can okie doke each other and bring people in and, and, and build, help build the future. You know, that's what we're here to do. So, uh, Janelle, thank you for joining me today on the optimal performance podcast. Thank you. I appreciate the time.